Yeah, yeah, I have the memo right here. I just uh, forgot, but uh, it's not shipping out till tomorrow. Check me out, y'all. It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a Wednesday night, and it is a great night to be talking about your town, your team, your Philadelphia Union, who are moving on to the knockout stage of the MLS is Back tournament. MLS after dark it was. I think the game wrapped up at 12.30, 1 a.m., something like that. I can't remember. The uh, lack of sleep is catching up to me now. But we're going to power through it here on It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. We have a star-studded group to talk about the Philadelphia Union's 2-1 to victory over Inter-Miami. Is it FC or CF? CF. Uh, my name is Kevin Kincaid. We've got Baxter the dog here. He's underneath my desk right now. Uh, my colleague from Crossing Broad, it's Rush Joy. Russ, what's going on? Hey, hey. And we've got the goalkeeper himself, Mr. Jonathan Tannenwald, joining the program. John, what is good, my man? From the secret lair in Highfalutin Center City. Greetings. From the secret lair. Well, this, is, this is different, John, because you usually, uh, you usually do your annual uh, pilgrimage up here to Fishtown. And uh, we do this in person, sort of like a once per year. You're always like up here in July, right? We always do it like once a year in July. Yes, I'm. I'm always uh, always on the day when it's hottest, and it, I uh, I get sunburned, and the uh, the 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 Septa streetcar that runs near your place is shut down. And there's always something other under construction. There's always right. like a street blocked off. Right? It wouldn't be John's uh, annual visit uh, pilgrimage to Fishtown unless like Girard Avenue was closed down or there was a, a dump truck in the way or there was some kind of uh, a house being built or something. But that's neither here nor there. We've got more important things to talk about. Philadelphia Union, uh, six points in two games so far. They're moving on to the knockout stages. Um, <clears throat> as we usually like to do on the program i'm going to toss it to my guests first and give them the first take and uh russ i think uh i think we would all probably agree that it wasn't i mean jim Curtin came out after the game himself and he said that it wasn't the best performance soccer wise but he was happy with the the grit and the uh the effort and uh you know three points is three points there were a lot of uh, iffy performances on the on the day. The Spanish commentary team, a little bit questionable in their uh, lack of calling for a review of the Casper uh, Shabilko offside goal waved off. Terrible. A little bit questionable on the English commentary that sounded like Jim Cramer for Mad Money uh, trying to work on a Spanish accent. And uh, you know what? I think ultimately I was uh, – I, I think uh, you have to walk away with one positive, and I'm sure we'll get into it, but – to me, the maturation and the development of, of Brendan Aronson year over year um, stands as arguably, I think, the biggest step forward a young player has ever taken in Philadelphia Union history. When you look at a guy who showed flashes of potential brilliance a year ago and has now managed to kind of put it all together, and he even talked about it after the game last night, that there is a, you know, a, a massive uh, – there's like a, a, a massive, I, I don't know the way that you, 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 you think of it, but like he said, there's so many repetitions lead you to a position where you feel more confident and confident in, in big situations and you, you just see it. So I, I'm happy with that. I look at that as a positive. John, uh, 24 hours later, you're, uh, what's, what's on your mind about the, the, union, the union's big win? Well, some of those hours were devoted to sleep. Sorry, but... Uh... Um, the, as I said to a friend of mine today, the 10.30 p.m. games and the 10 o'clock NWSL games are great, and the 9, AF, the 9 a.m. MLS games are great, but the 9 a.m. MLS games after the 10.30 NWSL, you know what I mean, 
the 9.30, the 9 a.m. MLS games after the 10.30 and the MLS games are not so great. So I no. needed a full night's sleep tonight, and I got it. A um, couple things that I, I find interesting. One, I get why Jim Curtin was annoyed, and that's actually the, uh, the piece that I wrote. What today is, I don't know. What, I never it's know Wednesday. What day today is Wednesday. It's Wednesday. I never know what day of the week it is anymore. Uh, this piece I wrote on Wednesday for Thursday's Inquirer was about, you know, Jim Curtin saying and Brandon Aronson saying too that they weren't really impressed by the performance. They didn't think it was so great. And I sat there and was impressed because they beat a team with better talent, albeit less cohesion. Um, and they scored two really nice goals, which is what people are going to remember more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the TV commentators, look, I'm biased because I know a few of them personally. Um, That's not the home crew for Miami, though, is it? Because some no. people were saying that. No, 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 no. Be, no. Look, they're all based in Miami, so they watch a lot of Inter-Miami. Right. But and Inter-Miami has all the famous Spanish-speaking players, so they're sort of naturally going to be more interested in them than they are in the union. Yeah, yeah I figured as much. Right? Um, I had a guy email me this morning who said, why was this game only on Spanish language television? And my response was because, A, I explained the MLS rights deal. And I said, B, Univision hasn't carried a lot of union games over the years because the union haven't had anybody they're interested in. Yeah. Except for Marco Fabian. And by the time they signed him, the TV schedule was already set. Yeah, right. So, and I I watched the Spanish language commentary, even though I didn't speak a ton of Spanish, because the guy who was doing the play-by-play, Luis Omar Zapia, is has been calling soccer games on various U.S. TV networks for 25 years and is one of the best in the business. And I will also say what I always say about – oh, oh, is that a spectacular own goal? As we got we some live commentary. This, yeah, some commentary. San Jose Earthquakes Vancouver, San Jose. scored an absolutely spectacular own goal, and the Vancouver Whitecaps go up 2 to nothing. You will see that uh, on SportsCenter around the time you're listening to this show. The behind the curtain, of course, is that John said before we hit record, is it okay if I make a little bit of commentary on what's happening in the game if there's a stunning goal? There it is. There what it is the own goal variety? You know, it's fine. It was, it was a two-on-none. The two San Jose recovered defenders recovered on. One of the guys came from behind and just straight up kicked the ball into his own net and then went sliding after it over the goal line and got stuck in the netting. It's MLS after dark. Uh, yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Um, so where was I? Um, on the offside question on Casper Spilko. This is where I, I, I go up that hill again that the VAR booth, in fact, does review everything that happens. And if they were convinced that he was offside, then he was offside. Um, and he ended up scoring another goal later anyway. I just wanted a review. I wanted a better angle. They gave us the one review where it wasn't, you know, straight on, right? It was. There, like but there is no to, because there's no straight yeah. on. No, I know. It's it's like. It, well, it, from, from the part, angle I got, it didn't look like it, it. It it looked like he was he was on, but I don't. No, know. I the 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 lower level, like the field level camera, closest to the field level camera shot that I saw. They didn't give us the drone shot, which would have proved it. Um, but the one angle that I saw. On a replay, he looked off. Now, this is part of the problem, though, too, because going into this tournament, um, the MLS production lead said that they're going to have twice as many cameras. Uh, I think it was upwards of 20 cameras. Uh, 
set in the stadiums for each of these games. Now, granted, the TUDN feed isn't necessarily or maybe isn't accessing the same equipment that ESPN does where oh, it is. ESPN has the same they have their own alternate feed that runs on oh. ESPN3. And so they certainly did not take advantage of it. The other thing is and I still haven't seen this as an actual view but MLS said that they were going to have a low flying drone that was going to be a secondary drone that was going to be even lower than the traditional Skycam. Still haven't seen that rolled out. It's weird that considering all of the extra microphones, all the extra cameras that they had, we saw one angle on TV. So well, regardless, it's like, we, you know, we got the, uh, the overhead shot of the counterattacking goal from the International Space Station, you know, but it's like, was it really that hard to give us the offside uh, angle? I would have liked to see it, but it doesn't matter. Can I, can I say a couple of things on that real yeah, quick? Yeah, 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 yeah. One is that ES, ESPN is doing the host production for every game, whether it's on ESPN, Fox, or Univision. Okay. So everybody has access to all the cameras. The, I think they backed off the low drone because they were a little worried about how they were going to position it over ongoing action if the ball got kicked up in the air or things like that. Yeah. Um, Well, isn't the whole point we're experimenting, we're trying new things, we're messing around with this, you know? Right. I also, as I said, I also think Shabilko was offside. And I talked to somebody who works as an assistant referee in like USL level stuff who said he was off. So, all right. Well, and he won the game anyway. The, what was the, Oh, I know what I was going to say about Aronson being the most, the player out of the Union Academy who has developed the most as a professional in his time as a professional. I would probably put McKenzie over him. Yeah, he's uh, Mark's come a long way in a short in, amount of time. In terms of steps taken during his professional career years, I'd put McKenzie higher than Aaron's. But it's harder too. It's easy. It's easier, I think, for the casual too. I mean, you got uh, Demarcus Beasley even out here, and he's not a, a casual. But to who, who didn't know that Aaron's had a senior cap? Well, that was funny. It's in in and of itself. But you know, he's a defender and he's pointing out uh brandon aronson i think it's easier for the untrained eye or the casual eye or the observer casual observer for this game to pick out the you know number 10 who's playing at the tip of the diamond you know the young exciting kid who's on the ball more so it's easy for those guys to to pull eyeballs on a center back you know i mean like i i'm i watch the center backs more than most people probably would you know i see mark mckenzie's development but i think the average person is going to point to to aronson first and make the focus on him and as it should be so let me just rip through a couple points here. And this is from the story that I wrote this morning. Some of the thought, just the generic thoughts that I had about the game. You know, Brendan, again, you know, that diving channel run that he makes on the first goal, you know, that's, that's the second play that he's made in two games where he's not going to get anything on the stat sheet for that, you know, but that's really an honorary assist any way you chalk it up. Um, you know, because like we've said before, plenty of times, they're playing this diamond shape, the narrow shape. They don't have a lot of width. There's no wingers on the field. Uh, so Ray Gaddis gets the ball. I thought he was going to push into space on that, but he just kind of chunks it forward into a space where Aronson can get onto it. A hard turn right up the end line. Um, put the ball in and get a deflection and, and whatever, you know, I mean, those goals aren't going to be perfect. And if the union aren't playing exactly the way they want to play, you'll take it any way you can get it. Um, you know, I think that was kind of the, the big takeaway for me just generically is the fact that, okay, well, good teams find ways to win, even when they're not playing particularly well. And I, I don't think you're seeing a union team right now that really has an identity necessarily. We know that they want to press. We know that they want to counterattack. They want to counter press. 
Um, and, you know, it's hard to do that when you are not 100% fit right now and you're playing in Orlando in 99 million degree weather and humidity or whatever. Um, but the fact that they're finding ways works. Um, you know, so Aronson was my man of the match. I think he did a lot of good running. and He was very active. Um, Jacob Glessness, all the physical tools, good passing range. Had some moments last night where he was kind of snoozing, looked like he kind of switched off. Um, I think we need more from the fullbacks, more touches, more involvement further at the field. Montero's dummy. What can you say? I mean, brilliant moment. That's that's why you paid him the the big money. That's why you paid the transfer fee. And it went up to three million dollars for that. Um, decided to pay money to bring him back. Um, you know, and and uh, I, I think they'll get more from him. Like kind of in a in a build up game as him and uh, Brandon Aronson kind of figure out where they want to be on the field and they kind of figure out their spots and they understand the inter- interchange and say, hey, you're going to be in this spot. You're going to occupy this spot. And uh, when Jose Martinez kind of tones it down a little bit and like helps himself in the build-up game versus flying around the field, throwing in slide tackles, I think they're going to get better with that. But that was half of them, Ross. Why don't you take it from there and tell me what you think about any of that? No, I want to pass it along. Oh, you want to pass it along? Yeah. Okay, that's fine. You can do that so, too. It's your program as much as mine. <laughs> so here's the interesting thing about, first of all, I agree with you very much on Martinez. There's a, there's a level about a step and a half below his current aggressiveness where he's going to be spectacular, but he's just a little too, he's a little too far on the other side for me. He's, he's starting the games in like fifth gear and he needs to start the games in like second or third yeah. gear. And then as the game progresses, then he can turn it up a little bit because he's going to, they're going to get screwed at some point. I mean, the three of us all know it where he picks up a yellow card 10 minutes into a game or he picks up an early red and then what? You know, it's nice you, that they. You mean warm. like when he oh, plays nice. Dom Dwyer in a couple of days? <laughs> yeah, I can't wait for that. That's going to be a, like the in, the immovable object versus the uh, the unstoppable force. You know, it's nice that they have Warren Craval to come on, and they have five subs, and they can use him as a defensive substitution. But you you shouldn't have to you know be in that situation situation every game where you're like thirty minutes into the game and you're like, oh shit, what are we doing with uh, with Brujo here? You know. So you mentioned that the fullbacks needed more touches. And I would submit that everybody in this game needed more touches. Mm-hmm. The, the, according to who scored, which is the data tracking that I use when I do my analysis pieces, Alejandro Bedoya had the most touches of any union player in the game, and it was 62. Did he really? Yeah. And that's like – and look, the union played more of a possession style in the past, so you'd get somebody like Harris Madunian and having over 100 in certain games yeah but 62 for your guy with the most is low it's low and he wasn't even like really part of the build-up you know and he's still playing pretty far forward you know because they're doing that thing again and we talked about this on the last um the last podcast with that i did with Corey last week but you know they're still doing that that thing john where they like tilt you can see this on zoom but the listeners can't where they kind of tilt one way, you know, because Jamiro's playing on the left, Bedoya's playing on the right. Jamiro's the build-up guy, so Bedoya kind of goes forward and Jamiro pops back, you know? So it's funny yeah. it's, it's, it's funny to me to think that, that Bedoya would have that many touches considering that they're, they're moving him a little further up. And Gaddis was second. Yeah. With 59. Martinez was third with 54. Wagner was fourth with 43. Montero was fifth with 41. Aronson was 11th with 34. And that tells you, as I, as I you know, wrote in the piece that will be in the paper Thursday morning, you, you, if your two guys who need to ball, be on the ball the most are Montero and Aronson, 
and they're not getting nearly enough touches, you got a problem. And I think that sort of points to why Jim thinks they didn't play well, even though a lot of folks on the outside were quite entertained by the whole thing. I actually think Miami did a pretty good job, even if they – I don't know how much – you know, how deep into scouting of the union style Miami got. Um, because I think they're, they're a little more of a, hey, here are the guys we have on the field and we're going to go play kind of team. Yeah. Um, but Miami played a 3-4-3. And they really overloaded the wings. And the union had a problem with it because their whole premise is send everything through the middle. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting little tactical chess match when you have two – opposing formations that are so distinct. Yeah, it's true. And they, um, you know, the first game when they had Elsino up there, I mean, you know, look, they're not, they're not going to be able to press with Elsino in Orlando no. at nine o'clock in the morning no. when uh, they haven't played in f- three months or four months or whatever it was. Right. You know, I, I don't against know. Against a better team. Yeah. Against a better team. And I don't, I don't know if they can do that going forward. So, I mean, I guess if there's any reason to be skeptical moving forward, uh, you know, you, you wonder if they're ever – It's at what point in this tournament are they going to be able to play their style and do what well, they want to do? Or are they just going to have to keep, you know, grinding these games out and, and defending while they've only let in one goal in two games? And, you know, is that, uh, is that sustainable? I mean, I guess that's the question. Well, this is where you get back to tactics, though. This is where you get back to the tactical brilliance you would hope that Jim Curtin can employ in that, you know, Inter-Miami kind of put a, a little bit of a game plan out there. They put a little bit on film of – in theory, how to jam up getting Brendan Aronson off the ball, making sure that he and Jamiro don't touch the ball as much as they should. It was one of those things that Jim even talked about in the aftermath of the game when he, he talked about the fact that Aronson as a number 10 and as they look to develop him into more of a playmaking role, that he's got to be on the ball a whole lot more than he was. Um, you know, you, you have to, as, as a big part of this, not only does it fall on the players to try to figure out their own ways to break through, it, it is going to come back to this coaching staff um, to make sure that they figure out a better way to get these guys in positions to be successful. Like we always talk about how this team tends to, to lean, the field is tilted to the right side of the pitch. And I saw a bunch of people tweeting last night, you know, where's Alejandro Bedoya been in that game? Because it didn't feel like he was making those meaningful plays on that right flank that you kind of tend to see him make. And I, I guess I would submit that maybe it's not a bad thing that it wasn't a big Ali Bedoya game because the kind of game that he's supposed to play isn't necessarily one that should be the focal point of, of the team. So right? let me, let me, uh, let me answer that. Um, and I, I, I sort of react viscerally when people say Alejandro Bedoya isn't visible enough because that was a criticism against him for years. I'm still sort of scarred by that, you know, from a couple of years ago when people would say, Oh, this, that, and and I would just be like, no, you got to actually watch him. I'm not blaming you at all. I'm blaming people out there who think that Bedoya had a small game last night. One shot, one chance created. One uh, aerial duel, one. As I said, 62 touches. Uh, He had 80% pass accuracy of 45 attempts, which I think lands at around 40 completed passes, which I think might actually have been the most of any player on the team. Led with had team I four tackles, a team I three interceptions, and one clearance. And again, Bedoya has nights like that where he doesn't 
do the spectacular stuff. Um, and again, I'm not saying that everybody was great. And we know, we know when El Sino's up there as the second forward that you're just not going to get a real 4-4-2 out of it. Yeah. Well, you're going to get, it's, you're gonna it's, get it's... something of a, a almost a 4-4-1-1, you know? It's a and it's a weird 4-4-1-1 that looks almost more like a 4-3-3 like a because Aronson will naturally drift to the left. The thing, the thing about Bedoya and it's funky is because when you go back to like, uh, you know, Real Salt Lake of the Jason Christ era was one of the original, like really, really good diamond teams in Major League Soccer. And John, I mean, like, you know, those midfielders that they were playing back then, yeah. were like Will, Will Johnson and like Ned Grabovoy and Luis And a real Paul. 10. Yeah, and with, with Javier Morales playing in front of him. So like, you, you, it's, it's odd to think that like Brandon Aronson's playing as a 10, but he's not like really a a developed 10 at this point in his career and it's weird because so Bedoya has that in front of him then to his right he has a fullback who's been playing in the league for eight years but still doesn't get forward and doesn't cross a ball in so Bedoya has this weird kind of thing where there's like there's no playmaker in front of him but the guy on the right of him is not going to fill that gap either so he plays this like kind of hybrid game where he's doing you know defending and dirty work and sort of you know tracking runners and stuff like that and then he kind of pushes up into areas that Ray Gaddis isn't going to get into you know and when you had Madunian on the field last year obviously there was this push and pull it's like he had to get forward for a fullback who doesn't get forward and he had defend defend for a defensive midfielder who doesn't defend right so it's like kind of resulted in just this weird utility glue guy veteran I don't even know what the hell to call it but he does it he does it. It's just funky to kind of like identify because it's such a weird like um, like spectrum of things that he does that they don't always look spectacular. But it's just I think it's more the like the product of the of the people around him. But to kind of push the the discussion forward for purposes of the podcast, it they they're they're lacking basic chance creation. Like, where is the chance creation coming from? You know, it's not coming from the fullbacks bumping crosses in, in, into the middle. You know, Brendan Aronson's making some really hard runs, but he's not like a get-on-the-ball volume number 10. He's not like a Tranquillo Barnetta. He's not a Christian Maidana who's just going to, you know, float left and right and put balls into the box. He can, he can grow into a Tranquillo Barnetta type of 10, but I don't, I don't really know otherwise where, if they're not pressing – you know, and they're not able to play that sort of turnover game. And I don't know, I guess I don't know where the chances are coming from. Well, I think, I think a couple things. One, as I've sort of alluded to, I think they played at least one better team so far. And then they, 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 they New York, especially with Alex Ring and the other guys in the center of that midfield, that's a really good central midfield. And Miami, as I said, played a formation that, the union probably hadn't, I don't When the heck was the last time they played against a three, four, three like that. I three, four, three hasn't been a thing in MLS. Right. Like, yeah. So not, I guess not until this year, last year or Orlando, what they're going to see from Orlando is mean much more what they're used to seeing, and mm-hmm. probably much more what they're able to beat as long as Orlando doesn't try to play slam ball, which they will, because that's what they do. And, you know, beyond that, I, I, think, I think the union are very good. I think they just – this is 
in terms of chance creation, this is what they are. Yeah. RB Leipzig doesn't create quote unquote traditional chances. No, they don't really play. They don't really play with like a. They they don't have a, don't like have a, a true ten. A number a number ten who's, right. who's slicing the dice and yeah. That's and 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 Liverpool just has too good talent. Well, isn't no? it funny? Isn't it funny to think that when Ernst Tanner came in, we heard the word. How many times did we hear the word transition? Like four hundred times. We want to be a transition, a more transition. Because team. he watched all this and game we, tape, and that's what he saw was the weakness. Yeah, yeah, and so I think we're kind of seeing, you know, okay, well, they got a lot of transition on the Jamiro Montero double uh, double dummy goal, you know. So I think that's I, we we see, um, you know, instances of how the Union want to play and how they should play. But I think it, the circumstances of Florida and the conditions are what they are. Plus, they're trying to just trying to learn what they are. Uh, they they have to grow into. They're not just going to flip a switch and play the style. They got to grow out of the Harris Madunian era, which was three years long. You know, I, so it's just it's just a, it's just an evolution, really, a change, and they got to figure it out. I, I asked Jim and Ernst before this team left for Florida. You know, we know basketball analogy. Kevin would be shocked that I make a basketball. No, that's fine. We do a lot of them on the show now. So. Um, I said to Jim, you know, you can play a full court press. Can you play a half court? Can you can you play a half court offense when it's ninety eight degrees and? 98% humidity down there. And he said, yeah, we've got a few more tools in our toolbox than just, you know, hell for leather. Yeah. So there were periods of time when I saw – there was one moment during the game, during the, uh, during the Miami game, where Martinez was actually standing on the ball for five seconds at midfield. I remember tweeting it, and I tweeted – Jose Martinez just stopped with the ball at midfield and stood there. <laughs> yeah, what, now? what now? What happens now? Well, more from a sense of we don't see that. We hadn't seen that very often. You know, mm-hmm. he's just an all-action guy. But the idea that he can, that he can play, so he can, if he's got that in him, that's a good thing. And I, mm-hmm. you know, Montero, I think definitely has it in him. Bedoya does. Aronson isn't. I thought about this today when I was, you know, I was listening back to what Jim had to say about the high, you know, the high bar they're setting for Aronson, the level that they want him to reach, and they're right. And then you step back and you say to himself, he's still 19. Um, So to pick up. And he was just getting, guys were raving about him last night, the sorts of, you know, national and continental media types who were watching this game across the U.S. and Mexico and so on. Well, he's going to kind of to, – to go with your full court and your half court, in a half court set, what's the most important thing, Kevin? Ball movement and quality shots. Benson. Right. Yeah, four. right. So if you want to – well, you know, we could have fun with this, and we could say that Brendan Aronson is almost like a raw Ben Simmons, right? You don't because know. Because he can't shoot. No, I've written that before. <laughs> yeah. So there's I've there's written that. that before. So there's, there's that. But, you know, if you think about it, like there is clinical finishing ability on this team. Like Casper Shabilko – when he gets into the final third and he's when he's finisher. presented when he's presented with a legitimate goal scoring opportunity mm-hmm. he converts that more often than not that was and a, that, that was a and, damn good goal by him last and night. so when it, you know? and, and by the way like the one that got waved off like that was also a solid finish as yes. well i mean in a different kind of situation but yeah. he can finish and so if the idea here is all right you're going to gum up the transition game that the union want to run and would obviously prefer to run 
what ends up being the most important thing for them? It's being able to execute on the few chances they might get. You know, like you can, you can go back to the idea of, do you want to just have an exponentially higher amount of chances on goal, have a higher shot volume in the thought that getting a ball onto the, onto net, onto goal is going to eventually kind of work out in your favor? Or do you want it to be where like these are higher quality chances that you're going to be able to, to convert? And it's funny because they are, they are, no, it's, it's scary when you think about it because they, this team actually does have a lot of similarities to the Sixers. You know, they're a good defensive team. They're very athletic. They can run all day long. Um, good in transition, as we saw last night. It's again, it's just kind of polishing up the quote unquote half court offense and, and creating when you have the ball in your hands, you know? But that's, Honestly, that's why, um, I think that's part of why, you know, historically the subs have been, you know, Ilsenio for somebody, like Ilsenio for Aronson and Santos for Burke. And then 4-2-3-1. Four, two, four, two, right, because then you had, you had, you change your tactics a little bit. You had Ilsenio who can break guys down off the dribble and Santos who would just wreak havoc on the other side. And... And by the way, you can't overstate how important the role that Santos can play. Assuming that you're able to get his conditioning and get him back up and, and not run the risk of a, of a groin pull or a, a hammy pull. Yeah, he's not he, can do those, he can do those Aronson kind of things that you saw on the goal where you, you're not getting width from Gaddis. So they need – and Shabilko isn't going to make those runs. So it's either Brendan Aronson busting his ass and running into the channels or Sergio Santos and that's it or else – Yeah, you know. but then what's the other huge difference between Sergio Santos and – and Brendan Aronson for as much as there wanted to be credit from Jim Curtin and even Aronson himself about working in the, in the gym in the off season to, you know, work on his strength. Sergio Santos is a massively broad shouldered man. He's a guy who, you know, does his game play more to the playing in those channels and just gassing the hell out of the center backs. Yes. But if need be, can he muscle his way? Can he make your life a living hell as a defender? Can he wear you down physically, not only by yes. virtue of passing you, but, but also bodying you up? Yes, he can. And, and, and that obviously he, creates the, the space yeah. that Casper needs to be able to finish. Like, I think last year, too many times, people got caught up in Sergio Santos's finishing ability or lack thereof. And, and, and for me, like, that's not his role. And in a perfect world, you know, he's able to convert at a higher rate. But for what this team is and what this team can be, and, and if they are going to contend and if they are going to advance and, and maybe even get to play in the final, that to me is the thing that needs to happen is Santos and Casper and playing significant minutes together and Sergio wearing down the defense and that making Casper's life a little bit easier in, say, the 70 minute, 70th minute and on as those backs are getting worn out uh, or or you have to sub some of them out, use those five subs, right? Uh, let me, let me ask John, hold that, hold that yeah. thought for one second. I just want to, I just want to make another point here. Um, kind of goes with the half court offense kind of thing. So Montero overcooked a set piece by about 15 yards on Tuesday night. Uh, Brendan Aronson took a corner kick that he overcooked by about 12 yards or 13 yards. Um, I kind of like the idea of, I don't know why, maybe just because he's left footed, giving Kai Wagner a shot and hit some of these dead balls. But uh, otherwise, unless you're letting Glessness rip another one from 30 or 35 yards and straight on, I don't, I don't know. I don't know who the set piece taker is on this team. 
Uh, I mean, Mont- I mean, Montero can do it, but he's he's more. I don't know. He doesn't really drive balls. He kind of he kind of floats them. I mean, you see those when he plays those diagonals. When you look at how the center backs will drive them, or how Madunian will kind of hit them flat, a little flat. Feels like Jamiro puts some float on the ball, maybe because his 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 feet are smaller. He's a smaller dude. I have no idea, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I like him or Brendan Aronson taking the set pieces. But again, I don't know who else would do it if not them. There, there was. I think Montero took it. There, there were some bad set pieces last night. There was also one really good one, like just absolutely perfect curve and everything that just happened to not land on a union player. And that, I think, is just a, a matter of, of um, time and repetitions. Well, they need reps, too, because right, Madunian took pretty much everything last year. Right. So, and like, he wasn't course, always great at it. No, no, of course not. Uh, but, you know, maybe it was unique in the fact that he was left-footed. And then so you always had, uh, you know, a decent left-footed option, a decent right-footed option. Um, I, I don't know. I, that was just something that stuck out to me. For no, I, I get it. I, I, I found those. I also know how much, you know, we all know how much the union work on set pieces. So I'm, I'm willing to write off one night of bad set pieces. And if there's another, I'll be more concerned. I wanted to mention, by the way, um, there's another wild card in all of this in terms of the, the Sergio Santos matter, and that is Andrew Wooten. Yeah, right. Jeez. Who has not played yet because he's dealing with a minor injury. I thought we might see him uh, against Miami, but he ended up not being necessary. At some point, he's going to put one goal in the net, and then he's going to put six in the net. I'm just convinced of that Mm -hmm. because he's got too much talent to not. And I don't know whether it's going to be in this tournament or what. Um, You know, the union are, are have until month. You have, as things go, they got a decent amount of rest before their next game because It's not until Monday. So I don't know that we're going to see a ton of squad rotation. Well, let me ask the question because they go Monday, Saturday. So, you know, Russ, what are we? What's our time looking like here? I lost track. I think we're about. We have probably about five. Five minutes. Okay. Well, let's make this the last one then. Um, You know, originally, I kind of have conflicting feelings here, kind of on the uh, the approach for this game because you're already through to the next round. However, um, you know, if you want to play, if you want to improve your. position in the knockout stages i personally don't think there's really going to be a lot of wiggle room in the groups i don't i don't think it makes a huge difference whether you play the first place team or the second or a third place team or second place team i don't i don't see a ton of separation there but uh i, I don't know how you weigh i would make one or two tweaks i would give mark mckenzie a rest i'd play glessness and elliot um i might try to give one of bedoya or jamiro a rest but otherwise i could see you going with the same nine of the same starters maybe you know, gives your bill only 60 minutes or something like that. I think you still go for it, especially too, because these games are counting for, you know, regular season. So it's not like a typical world cup where, you know, Spain would win their first two games and then they put in all the other random dudes and they'd swap out their entire 11. So uh, I, don't, I don't know, Russ, how would, how would you do it? This honestly is the exact same debate that the flyers have been having for the last few days and zoom calls with head coach Lane Vigneault because they're they're trying to battle in theory for the top seed in the Eastern Conference and they're in that four team round robin and so in theory you would think that the seeding really matters 
But I think you can almost throw that kind of thing out the window because there are no fans. There's no home field or home ice advantage. So if you're Jim Curtin, like to me, as much as it, you might kind of trend to wanting to finish as the top team in the group, you've got to get a few of these guys rotated in. Um, you know, I think you're probably looking at maybe letting Mark McKenzie sit this one out, letting Jack Elliott and Glessness both get that start. Um, and I think at some point you've got you've to rotate a few of these guys in that haven't seen any playing time because if we've learned anything from these first couple of games, it's that there is a possibility that a few small injuries could absolutely upend your chances. And if you get a, a few more injuries you know, up top, a couple of, of calf pulls or whatever, um, you know, you've got to figure out a way to, to mitigate any kind of negative ramifications. So um, I think Jim's going to have to try to figure out who else can play up top. I, I think that's going to be a big part of this or systemically, like what are you going to do to offset if you end up lacking forward depth going through the tournament? Because you're not going to have a shot once you get to the knockout, uh, the knockout stage. So getting more guys in, I think, is more important than finishing top in the group. I John, think why, don't you, why don't you wrap it up here because yeah. we're doing the, the cheap-ass uh, Zoom 40-minute uh, no, join I, here. I think there's, there's a couple of reasons why. I, I, I agree with you about McKenzie, that it would be a good idea to give him a night off. Santos is a tough one for me because they're going to play. They play Monday, then they play Saturday. Then was it? I'm looking at the bracket now. Then they play either the 30th or the 31st of July, which is Thursday or Friday. So there's a decent amount of time between these games. Mm-hmm. But I think that the, the putting aside that you don't know who one of these, who these third place teams are going to be. And one of them might end up actually being better than who you would play if you finish second. The biggest reason to win the group is because A2 plays at 10.30 at night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and just from a, from a physiology perspective, do you really want to go through that again? No. no I, don't know. I, I don't know. Wouldn't these guys prefer the 10.30 p.m. start over the 9 a.m.? No, there's no 9 a.m., but there's no 9 no, a.m. I'm, I'm saying, like, if, if all things were even, like, I think playing a little bit later at night, it's really no different than – if you were going to go out and play on the West Coast, right? It's an hour difference. If right from what a from what a normal West Coast game would be. No, but you're that, out there. You're out there. It's still seven o'clock out there, so you're waking up at at the right time out sure, there. Sure, but if, if they if, if you have they, five days to get your body clock kind of adjusted, right? If they if they win the group, they won't play a late night game for the rest of the tournament. And I, from, from talking to Jim and some of the players about some of the adjustments they had to make for that going, not only that, going from a 9 a.m. game to a 10.30 game instead of a 9 a.m. game to an 8 p.m. game to a 10.30 game. I, I think it's to the advantage of, you know, if you can get in that 8 p.m. game, if you can, I think it's going to pay some dividends. Well, listen, we shall see. And uh, yeah. let's let's end on a positive note here. I'm going to give you a statistic. The Philadelphia Union have not lost a game since March. How about that? Um, 
we're going to see what happens uh, when they play again. Orlando SC. I'm going to hop off now and uh, answer everybody's questions, comments, and concerns. Uh, but Russ, John, thank you. Uh, thank you for joining the program. It's always a pleasure. And uh, John, when we uh, come out of COVID, we'll, um, we'll resume the, and your annual trip to Fishtown. About that. Yes, and, and my annual trip to Baxter barking at me while we're doing the show. To Baxter you didn't barking. tonight. That's right, that's right, that's right. John, well, this thanks. was Russ, this was thanks. this was delightful. Kevin, don't forget to do an exercise uh, during the mailbag because yeah, we'll try to do an exercise. Got to do an exercise on the pod. That's right. We always like to do an exercise on the program, and I'm now going to uh, answer your questions and comments and concerns. We'll try to we'll try to fit one in there. How about that? All right. All right, it's now time for the lightning round. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have a lightning round on uh, the Always Soccer in Philadelphia program, but maybe we can find a way to add that in some way, shape, or form. Maybe that will replace the uh, controversial words that end in the letter A segment. All right, enough goofing around. Let's get to what really matters, your questions, comments, and concerns. This one's from Rich Ellis. Are we doomed to live in fear every night of the inevitable second yellow for El Brujo? I thought he barely escaped again last night. Yeah, and I touched on that briefly. Um, it's just something that you don't want to have to think about all the time, you know? I mean, if you're Jim Curtin, I think you're going into every game now saying, all right, well, he's all over the place, you know, the first yellow is going to come and now what, you know, you don't have to, you you don't want to have to be sitting there thinking, well, when do I need to make this Warren Craval sub, you know, and you don't want to have that to have to be a crutch every time, you know, you shouldn't have to sit there and think that you're going to have to bring out your six in the second half of every game. (laughs) You know, he's going to have to turn into an Ozzy Alonso kind of guy who can consistently and steadily give you 90, you know, he's just got to learn how to pace himself. Um, Rick McGovern says, was the Spanish language broadcast particularly pro Miami or did I imagine it? Yeah. I mean, like John was saying, it wasn't, it wasn't their crew, but it was like Miami based guys and, you know, Spanish speakers talking about Spanish speaking players. They don't really know the union. So yeah, it's, it seemed that way, you know, I thought it was ridiculous that they called Miami's goal a Golasso. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's, there's some nice movements in there. There's a nice back heel and it was a, it was a good counter but it wasn't a Golasso. So I think Ramsey Sandoval was the dude who was doing the game. And um, he was doing, like, the uh, games a couple years ago or something where people were, like, just kind of, what is this guy doing? Like, he's, like, all over the place. He's just got to tone it down. So I don't know. I just thought that sometimes the commentary didn't – the the excitement level of the commentary maybe didn't necessarily match what was happening on the field and in both ways, going both ways. But I don't know. Um we got a bunch of questions about Aronson, Brendan Aronson. This is from Eric, and uh, he says, how much do you think he's worth, and what is the minimum you would sell him for? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I I really think we're still putting the cart before the horse here a little bit. I, again, I think a lot of this is just the product of, like, of we have such low expectations of American talent right now that as soon as a 19- or 20-year-old or 21-year-old kid does anything at all, we're ready to send him to – the Bundesliga, you know, uh, like Brendan's still got a long way to go, <laughs> you know, like um, he, he's obviously he's doing a lot of stuff now as you've seen so far this year, that's not showing up on the score sheet. So um, they'll pick that out on film, these foreign teams, luckily, and they'll be able to identify the good stuff that he does without the ball specifically. Um, but he's got a lot of room to grow for sure in his position. You know, I, I don't, I don't think that he's closer to Europe than Mark McKenzie is. Definitely not. I, th- I think Mark McKenzie is much closer to uh, Celt to the rumored Celtic than Brandon Aronson is to uh, uh, 
you know, wherever the hell you would, you would send him, whoever would want him Schalke or something like that. You know, um, I like Aronson. I love his game. I just, I, I still think we're just kind of maybe to go in a little too far there. Um, all right. David Bennett says, this is a big if, but if the union win the tournament and the $1.1 million cash prize, do you see them going after a bigger name DP, uh, player like Balotelli? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the hell they would do with the, with the money. Why not? Why not put it into the player pool? You know, uh, I don't know if is Vooten going to work out. I mean, he's got a pretty big salary. I mean, I f- still feel like they could, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that, um, I still think I would like to upgrade the right fullback position. Uh, but I don't, you know, I don't know how much money you're spending on that. But, uh, John says, does Corey Burke return to the union after the bubble tournament? Yeah, why not? I mean, if, and Vooten's injured, we don't know what his status is. Um, Corey did okay over there in Austria. So yeah, why not? But he would be the fourth in line. I don't, I don't know if he'd get much playing time. If he came back, they'd have to figure out something permanent for him. Um, these answers kind of suck. Sorry. I'm tired. I'm trying to do the best I can here. It's like 10, 15 at night. Uh, Jack Fritz Adelphia's legendary says, should we consider permanently switching back to the four, two, three, one, and the four, four, two, Ollie seems to get pushed up the field a lot while Jameer plays deeper and does a lot of the dirty work and the four, two, three, one with Ollie in the, Double pivot, it allows Jamiro to get on the ball and move further up the field. Um, yeah, I, I well, I, again, I mean, then, then where's Martinez? You know, so if you're saying that Martinez is the six, Jamiro is the, Bedoya is the eight, Jamiro is your 10. So you play him as a 10, and you have Brent and you have Brendan on the wing. Um, you know, again, the thing is like, when they played four two three one last year, they had a Fafa Pico for that, you know. So if they, if they wanted to start in that, they could put Pico on the left and Elsino on the right. So I think the only real way that you would do it this year is you put Elsino on the right and you put Aronson on the left, Jamiro at the ten, Bedoya and Martinez, or try playing Matt Real at left uh, left wing. You know, they don't really have any wingers. They don't really have any true wingers outside of. El Sino because when they were trying to build this shape and install these tactics, they don't they don't they don't use wingers, you know. So they got rid of the only ones that they had. So I think it makes it harder for Jim to switch into that this year, you know. Um, Jared Young says Glasnost or Elliot and uh, Aronson or Montero with the ten. I think Aronson and Montero are fine where they are. I mean, they naturally want to kind of drift in that same little pocket, but they'll figure it out with more time playing together. I don't I don't see the need. I don't think swapping them really does makes too much of a difference anyway like because they operate close enough to each other that if you were going to play one at the eight and one at the ten and vice versa i don't think it would make a huge difference i think they're fine where they are right now um if i had to pick a starting center back pairing i would go elliot mckenzie elliot mckenzie for sure i mean i was saying it last night i mean uh maybe you're following along on twitter but uh glessness has all the physical tools i mean he seems like he's a decent passer he's good in the air a big strong dude uh, he just seems like he has like, had like a couple moments where he was just kind of like snoozing, you know, like on the VAR uh, handball that was overturned. I mean, he was just kind of like wasn't really paying attention there, and he wasn't ball side of his guy. You know, that's why he was in an, a compromising position because he was on the wrong side of him. Um, there was another one too where he kind of had a clearance that was unconvincing, and the ball kind of fell right to the feet of a Miami player, and that sort of seemed whatever. I feels like he's just kind of like sort of like rolling right along with the game, you know, like his, his, his intensity level is kind of the same throughout. Like his demeanor seems the same. He doesn't seem to be a very demonstrative guy. I don't know how vocal he is out there. It's, it's weird. Cause he was the captain of his team in Norway. 
maybe he's a little bit more passive because he's new on this team and it's a different country and uh you know, a different um, group of guys and stuff like that. But I feel like Elliot and uh, McKenzie play with a little bit more um, urgency, I guess, for lack of better words. If you took some of Aurelian Collins' personality and mindset and, uh, if, like, infused it, uh, grafted it uh, – well, you can't graft it because it's not a body part. But if you found a way to spiritually add it into what Jacob Glessis already has, you'd have the perfect center back. I think his mentality just needs to kind of adjust a little bit. Um, Kanye Wu says, do you do any betting on uh, MLS games? <laughs> Interested in your thoughts on it, seeing as the Union Orlando game has a weird uh, point spread. The Union are a negative 112 favorite, and Orlando is a plus 320 uh, underdog. Yeah, it's, uh, the short answer is no. No, I learned my lesson to not put any money on the Philadelphia Union a long, <laughs> a long time ago. Because the reason, Corey and I touched on this a little bit last week, but the reason you see such crazy odds for MLS is because it's so unpredictable. You know, you never, like rarely do you ever find plus odds for both teams. Like you'll find it in a game like, uh, Jesus, like uh, you know, like a, like a Brighton versus a Norwich or something, like two mid-table or two low-table teams playing each other in the Premier League. But like, Arsenal versus um, Bournemouth is Arsenal's always going to be a negative, you know, favorite, and Bournemouth's always going to be a plus underdog. But because it's MLS is so hard to predict, you get like uh, a favorite at plus one twenty five, you get an underdog at plus one eighty five, and you get a draw at like plus you know one fifty or something like that. So there's good value there, but it's just really hard to predict. Um, a lot of the money that I make in betting is off of live betting, and um, there's no real secret to the trade here, but. Um, I've been making most of my money lately on Serie A, uh, sitting there watching the games, watch the first 10 minutes or so, see if a goal, uh, see if there's a goal, kind of get a feel for which team looks good and which team doesn't because in Serie A they kind of score in bunches and there's more kind of, uh, I don't know how to describe it, more kind of like back and forth like momentum swings in the game where one team will sort of boss a ton of possession in a short amount of time and they'll string together a couple goals. So it's really easy to kind of like read the intervals, you know, say I think they're going to score a goal between 30 minutes and 60 minutes, or I think they're going to score between 60 minutes and 90 minutes. You know, if you think that one team is piling forward and sending a ton of dudes forward or they look pretty good or they're pinging a bunch of shots all of a sudden, they say, hey, I think there's going to be a goal here. So it's mostly live betting. That's where I'm making a lot of my money. So maybe I can uh, turn into a gambling shark one of these days. Um, Yaz says if McKenzie is heading to Europe soon, uh, do you see Glessness and Elliott as a feasible center back pairing, giving their lack of pace? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't, um, I don't know how. I don't know if Austin Trusty was the fastest guy out there, was he? Um, well, no, Austin was was pretty quick. He was athletic. Yeah, Glessness and Elliott, I think, is fine. Um, I don't think Glessness is really lacking any physical tools. I don't know how many all out sprints I've seen him do. Um, in the three games that he's played, or, the, or yeah, the three games he's played, but yeah, I think he'd be all right there. He'd be all right there. Um, Reese says, uh, if the federal communications commission, uh, no, if uh, FC Cincinnati, uh, keeps shitting the bed, does Philly take another look at Amaya, um, to be the heir to Bedoya? I think that spot goes to a Fontana, um, or Turner, uh, homegrown, but I think it would be an interesting idea. Uh yeah no it's a thought um I I I like Anthony Fontana I, I would like to see him get more minutes honestly um and I think that 
kind of, you know, box to box diamond, uh, eight position is kind of what he is, you know, cause they had saw him as a, as kind of a tweener. Yeah. He was kind of his, I, I guess you guys remember, he was kind of like, uh, kind of had Brendan Aronson's kind of, um, profile coming into the league where they were, they weren't really sure if he was a 10 or they weren't really sure if he was an eight. I mean, they played him as a striker in the first, in the first game cause they were missing a bunch of guys, but I think, I think you hand it to a homegrown for sure. Yeah. Cole Turner, Anthony Fontana. Um, Mitch says, what are your thoughts on Curtin's substitution patterns in the last two matches? Would you have done anything different? Um, no, I mean, I think I'm okay with it. Um, uh, you know, I think that halftime sub is, is, is key because then you don't have to make, you know, the, the halftime sub doesn't count against your three stoppages, right? So you can't, you can't do five subs on uh, five different stoppages or four different stoppages in the second half. So if he wants to make the El Senio switch there, he can do it there. Um, I, I don't think it's just interesting. I mean, I don't think we've seen any four, two, three, one in the tournament so far, you know, and I don't know if that's just a product of the personnel or, or they just haven't had enough training time with a new team to sort of flex into the four, two, three, one. But, um, I mean, they're playing, they're playing a, uh, I don't know if it's a concert. I don't know if you'd call it conservative, but they haven't really, uh, done a lot of tactical flex and they haven't had to because they're defending well. You know, so I mean, you know, the gym's a defensive coach. If he can win one nothing, if he can win two to one, uh, if it ain't broke, you know, it doesn't need fixing. Um, they just kind of have to develop their the quote unquote half court offense that we were talking about. Um, Muggsy says, "How do you get outplayed by a team with exactly three games in its entire history and fortunately squeak out a win?" Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think that's kind of a negadelphia take. I think it is. Look at me. I mean, everybody thinks I'm Negadelphia, but I don't, I don't, I mean, look, man, I, I, the circumstances are beyond extenuating. You know, you're playing at 1030 at night <laughs> in front of no fans, you're playing at nine in the morning in front of no fans. You're stuck in a hotel. Like, I, I don't, I don't think you, you know, I think you take it any way you can get it. And look, I, 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 maybe you'd be more concerned if Jim came out after the game and said, well, I thought we played great. But he didn't. He said, ah, we didn't play that great. We won. So, you know, yeah, I would be more concerned if they were not concerned. Right? Does that make sense? Um, Klein says, can MLS use the U.S. Open Cup trophy for MLS's back uh, so the union can finally win the damn thing? (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen, the the MLS's back tournament is harder to win than the U.S. Open Cup. Because U.S. Open Cup, I mean, the Union's path over the last year, over the years when they went to the final, was like beat Harrisburg, right, or beat the Rochester Rhinos, and then beat four MLS teams. Okay, in this game, you would have to win. Well, I mean, you probably need two wins to get through the group stages, or maybe a win and a draw, and then you got to win round of sixteen, round of eight, round of four, final. So you'd have to win four four straight. So I think you actually have to you have to probably have to win more games or at least as many games in this tournament to win it and it's against all it's all against mls competition you know you don't get you don't get the new york cosmos um at home on a tuesday night you know so um another aronson question about the timeline to europe yeah i I don't i'm not sure i really don't know um i i and look too the transfer windows are fucked up right now so i don't i don't really know it doesn't. It doesn't behoove him. It doesn't. I've always wanted to say behoove on the podcast. It doesn't benefit him to go do anything right now. Anyway, what, what's he going to do? Like the kid's super young. He's going to go to uh, you know 
Wolfsburg and sit on the bench and try to learn a new language and they're wearing masks and they, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think we're all just kind of getting it, getting it a little ahead of ourselves with Brendan. That's all. Um, and the last question is also about Brendan Aarons. <laughs> is there any, is there any doubt in your mind that he'll play overseas? Uh, no. And look, I, I think, you know, we've said it before. I mean, I think that's kind of the, um, the feather in the cap for the union Academy. I think the one thing that they have yet to achieve the, the final piece to the puzzle, the one thing where Tommy Wilson can kind of sit back and pour himself a whiskey and say, we did it is uh, to bring a player all the way through the Academy and send them to Celtic or Rangers or uh, Bremen or, uh, you know, the Netherlands or something like that. You know, that's the final thing that you can say hey we there's nothing that we've done everything that we can possibly do and all there is to do now is just keep putting more kids through the pipeline so i would love to see it as much as anybody from a symbolic standpoint and eventually you know like all teams in the world you're gonna have to start selling your young players but uh i don't again i I just think with brendan that the bar is so low that anytime an american player like um farts you know we're all over it right (laughs) you know because we're doing because we watch so so poor um so many poor performances from young american players over the years it's like we just were like thirsting for anything you know so i love brendan i thought he was my man of the match in this game i thought he played a great game but um we just need we need sample size we need more games you know we can't do the knee jerk philadelphia eagles thing where it's like we lose a game fire andy reed we win a game we're going to the super bowl so i would like to think the philadelphia union fans are more pragmatic than that all right well that's it um, 17 minutes plus 40 whatever minutes so right around an hour and uh, thanks everybody for listening and we'll do another podcast I'm actually on vacation uh, next week but I will uh, try to record something with somebody 